If you have been waiting to get your hands on some Ag Chicks merch, now is the time to do so. All of the Ag Chicks merch will be on sale on the website. If you use code AGCHICKS at checkout, all of the Ag Chicks merch, meaning hats and t-shirts and stickers, will be on sale to help you prep for the holidays and make sure that everyone has some Ag Chicks merch going into the new year. Longtime horse girl Rachel Briggs has had a passion for animals from a young age. Although she was not born into the ag industry, she was able to get plugged into a 4-H club at 9 years old, where she cultivated her passion for horses. Rachel competed in horse judging, hippology, and horse bull contests throughout her youth and showed all around on different horses she was able to lease or catch ride. During college, she used her acquired riding skills to become a rider at Dolly Parton's Stampede, where she met her husband, Jordan. Nowadays, Rachel works as a territory manager for an animal health distribution company, in her spare time, she's bringing along her own young horse and showing him at ranch horse shows, helping her husband run their side hustle, Southeastern Cowboy Network, and building their little farm from scratch in beautiful East Tennessee. Please help me welcome Rachel to Ag Chicks Podcast. Hey y'all, this is Allie Spears, your host of the Ag Chicks Podcast, where I cultivate connections with the women who are helping feed the world. Well, I'm excited to chat with you. Uh, and again, I appreciate you being flexible because, uh, you know, being in the world of agriculture, you never know what's going to get out, who's going to get out, whose neighbors' cows are going to be in your pasture, all of those things. Uh, so I appreciate that uh, in your flexibility for sure. Uh, Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I've, I'm pretty used to it with my day job and my neighbor's cows have more than once gotten out into our pastures. So very understandable. And, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, it's just a, a quick thing. We can move them in. And then that's that's never the case. If you've got no. something going on, there's no doubt somebody's getting out for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Always. <laughs> but I'm excited to chat with you uh, and learn a little bit more about you and kind of share with the listeners uh, who you are and, and what you've got going on. So why don't we start from the beginning, if you're good with that? Uh, tell me a little bit about where you are from um, and kind of like growing up side of uh, your journey. Sure. Yeah. I'm actually from Northwestern Virginia in the beautiful Shenandoah Valley area. I grew up in a small town called Front Royal um, and I did not grow up in an ag family at all. Um, I met a friend at a church camp at eight years old and she had horses and I started going over to her house and riding her horses with her and I was like, this is it. <laughs> I've always had a love for animals that, you know, if you asked me what I wanted to be growing up, I almost always said a veterinarian. Um, but it's funny how that path and how that's always been in my blood that I've always been an animal lover. Um, but yeah, so I, I started riding horses with her, joined the same 4-H club as her, got really ingrained in 4-H in every sense of the word. We didn't have FFA in my county and my school system. So that wasn't even an option for me. So in Virginia, I, I know 4-H isn't the same in every state and it functions a little bit differently. I didn't learn that until I moved to Tennessee where I live now, um, but it's purely extracurricular in Virginia. And so I joined a, a horse club and I did knowledge contests. I did all of the judging, all of the hypology, all of that fun stuff. Um, and I actually was on the Virginia state team for that. And then I also was able to lease horses growing up. So my parents were not horse people. They didn't necessarily want to take the risk of buying a horse and not knowing all of the things because, you know, horses, <laughs> they're a little complicated. Um, but they did give me 
with to be able to ride some incredible animals with really fantastic female leader mentors that have really shaped my life to what it is today. Awesome. I love that. I love listening and like getting to meet people who don't necessarily have like a traditional ag background, just because I think your story and journey into agriculture, right, is just so unique. Um, so that's that's awesome. And also, as a common thread has been through lots of guests on Ag Chicks is it started with a horse, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's it's instant. I mean, once you touch that animal, you're like, nope, but it's over. <laughs> yep, it's a very fully habit that I'm not going to be able to break. <laughs> yes, for sure. For sure. Yeah, no, fully invested. Um, even like, I would not consider myself to be like a horse person, but I mean, definitely had a horse, had a horse worked in there. Um, for sure. Multiple, actually, um, because I feel like once you get involved in that, then it's like, it's like the gateway drug, if you will. Oh, to kind of the sure. rest Oh my gosh. World. And it makes you, it opens your eyes to all things ag. And then you're like, whoa, these are in some important issues that matter to us and matter to ultimately our horses and our food system. So yeah, I'm definitely that classic case of like the horse started it all, but now I'm like an advocate for all of these things because I'm like, no, it's important. <laughs> so anyway. Yes. Yes, for sure. Okay. So Grew up in uh, Virginia, and then how did you get to Tennessee? Was that school or job or husband? Like, well, how did that happen? Yeah, so all that kind of happened all at the same time. Um, I got accepted to University of Tennessee, and I did not want to go to Virginia Tech just because, like, everyone I knew from high school was going to Virginia Tech, including my <laughs> brother. I was like, I'm going to do something different. And I really loved the idea of, like, a big SEC football team school, I, and I really loved that about going to Tennessee. Um, so I went to University of Tennessee, and I got two degrees, one in marketing, one in economics. And then um, I also simultaneously got a job at Dolly Parton's Stampede, which is a horseback riding dinner show um, that is in about an hour away from campus. So I did that simultaneously because I had to pay my way through college. So I had to figure out a job and I wasn't going to do most of the time I had found jobs riding horses when I couldn't pay to ride horses. So found a way to ride horses through that show. And I actually met my husband through that dinner show. So he was also a rider there. There was a common interest as well. Um, so yeah, I did all of those things simultaneously. Okay. How cool. First of all, did you get to meet Dolly? Please tell me yes. Yes. Yeah. So she actually used to come and take pictures with all of the staff. So I have pictures with her. We are the only cast that actually got to perform an entire show for her and her whole family. So that was super wild. Very, very fun. Yeah. And she is as nice and as kind and as funny as she seems like she is just a winner all the way around. That is so cool. I think you win in terms of like all time experiences. That is the coolest job, especially like being in college and having all of that kind of stuff going on. But then you get to go do that. Like what a cool experience. Yeah. Looking and back, I'm like, how did I manage to work? I worked there five days a week and still did school full-time and still graduated in four years. So that was a Christmas miracle in itself. Um, but it was kind of cool how it, it used to be. There's not so much a slow season in this area now. And we still live in the same area, um, the Great Smoky Mountains. It's a huge tourist destination. My husband still works in tourism. But um, there used to be kind of busier seasons and our busier seasons when were when I was out of school. So summer, fall break, winter break, spring break. So I could do those heavier show days during those times. But otherwise, I just try to schedule all my classes in the morning, try to make my call time by two o'clock. If we were doing rehearsals, sorry, I'll make it up somewhere because that's just how it was. But it was such a fun job. And we met so many people from that job that you just wouldn't believe. But it's really, really cool. 
yeah I was gonna say I'm sure you guys met incredible people from like probably all over the world oh yeah Uh, oh yeah and um but yeah that's a lot to try to manage because I'm sure it was like not just like a part-time gig obviously it sounds like it was a full-time full-time job on top of school yeah because Uh, not only do you have like just you got to show up and do your acts but you had horses to take care of there like you had assigned horses that you were in charge of grooming tacking warming up untacking bathing doing all of their management other than like feeding and picking because we had barn hands to do that but yeah you had not only yourself your wardrobe your presets for any acts you were in your makeup and hair you had to do yourself but you also had to warm up horses and tack them in an hour and a half before showtime so (laughs) it was a lot of running around and SEC, like you said, which is no walk in the cake in terms of a collegiate experience either. Uh, so what a what a unique opportunity and experience that you got to have all of that uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee, right? So yeah, you said yeah. it was about an hour, an hour um, from Knoxville. So yeah, but, and then you'd have to commute too. So yeah, so I actually the first year I lived on campus, that was like an hour drive back and forth, and I could not stand it. It was the worst, but you know, they had kind of pigeonhole you into living on campus the first year. And so then I found a little townhouse in between the two places. So I only had like a 25 minute commute one way and a 25 minute commute the other. So that wasn't so bad. Um, but yeah, and I lived there the rest of the time I was in school. That's crazy. Yeah. My parents, so my brother and my dad, um, so I'm at A&M still, I work here, but then working on my PhD and stuff. Um, and so my dad or brother did not go to AM, but they have become super fans just by my connection. And so they actually went to the Tennessee game this year and they were like, you have got to come to next Knoxville the next time they play there. Yes, like it come, is please. We'll go out together. Town. It's such yes. an experience. It is such a cool little town. The food is phenomenal here. It's like a, a little Southern oasis, but it's still so unique in its area and its geography. And we also have a lot of cattle and a lot of like Western lifestyle influence here, believe it or not. Um, so that's a really big passion of Jordan and I's, my husband and I's. Um, and that's really kind of why we started Southeastern Cowboy Network was to put a highlight on that and to grow it and preserve it. Right. And I want to talk about um, Southeastern Cowboy Network because I know that's a big part of kind of what you guys are doing. And I guess it could be con- determined or could be called a side hustle, even though I'm sure it takes off uh, way more of your time than a small amount. Um, But tell us a little bit about kind of what that is and like, why did you guys start that? Yeah. So what we have, our goal with Southeastern Cowboy Network is it's purely a passion project. It's not like something we truly make money off of, but um, it's something that we really enjoy and keeps us a part of the rodeo and Western lifestyle space because our jobs aren't necessarily that. I work in animal health, so it does keep me uh, kind of in there in some sorts of, of ways, but, and I work with directly I directly work with veterinarians every day. Um, and Jordan works for a tourist attraction that's kind of like a cowboy theme park. So that that's kind of nice. Um, he used to work for Stampede as well, obviously. Um, so our our passions always lie kind of in the Western space. I grew up showing horses. Jordan grew up rodeoing. So it was something, a big passion of ours. And really the heart of it was Jordan's always coming up with ideas. And this idea was something that we felt there was a need in the market because we weren't seeing it. So basically around 2020, um, Jordan came to me, we, we had left the show at that point. Jordan was still working in sales at Stampede and I was working at my not dream job. Um, first job out of college. I'm really candid about that. That was not my dream job, but I learned a whole lot from it. 
Um, so we were kind of outside of the ag space, outside of the horse space or being involved. We didn't own horses at the time. So um, we found that since we worked in the show, we had all of our evenings and weekends given back to us. So we were like, we should start going to rodeos and things locally in the area, start supporting people and being a part of that. Well, we would see things after they happened on Facebook. Like we didn't see any good advertising unless it was like a sign on a street corner ahead of time. And we were like, we both work in marketing and sales. Like maybe we could help, like maybe we can help promote and advertise these events because we would have been a paying customer to sit our butt in the seat and, you know, they're missing out on the opportunity or people that's seeking it out, let alone anyone who's not necessarily seeking it out. Right. So George kind of came to me with the idea of like, what if we built an audience and a platform of one stop shop of, hey, here's all the events going on in the Southeast, you know, this weekend. And I was like, that's a fantastic idea. Let's do it. So he, we built a Facebook page, we built an Instagram page, and we just kind of got to work on getting to know stock contractors. Because that's the other thing about the Southeast is it's not like your PRCA rodeos where you have committees that put on the rodeos here. It's more so like stock contractors put on the rodeos at different locations. So it's mm -hmm. a little bit just different how it functions. And these stock contractors don't necessarily love Facebook or don't necessarily have the time to sit down and make an Instagram post. <laughs> so let's let, we kind of wanted to partner with them and say, Hey, let us help you do that end of things. And send us your flyers. If you need a flyer made, let us know. We can even do that. Um, but what can we do to help advertise to promote this sport and help it grow? By Ranchers for Ranchers. Together, let's make ranching easier. Previously known as Cattle Back Box, Strayhorn has rebranded to better match their ability to push the envelope in creating innovative animal management products to serve the ranching community. Strayhorn is rooted in tradition and ranching legacy, but they believe in the opportunity of looking at things with a new perspective to drive the industry forward. Check out all of the things that Strayhorn has to offer you and your herd. Yeah, no, in... I know I just saw one of your recent posts about like how much it has grown, which is incredible. Uh, and I think just the concept behind it, uh, it makes sense, right? Like, why wouldn't there be, why wouldn't there be a place where you could figure it all out? And so I, I uh, commend you guys on seeing the need and taking the opportunity uh, to, to serve the community, I guess, for, for lack of a better phrase there. Um, yeah. In, and really kind of develop a, a one-stop shop, like you mentioned. Um, so I guess my next question would be, what has been something that you guys like were not expecting to come out of it or like a challenge you guys maybe didn't foresee uh, when you started it? Um, how much need there actually was. I mean, to be honest, yeah. like we, it happened right before COVID Jordan got laid off. So he had a ton of time to dedicate <laughs> all of his time to Southeastern Cowboy Network, which was really cool because we got to play with, algorithms and kind of figure out what worked for us what didn't what built an audience what retained an audience what did they want to see um so there was a lot of that kind of playing the game and then just how much need there was we worked with the cutting horse industry pretty extensively through 2020 2021 um because they wanted like live streaming for their shows and that mm. that's not necessarily where our passion lies we love cutters we love that industry but that wasn't something that we really expected but there was a huge need for it we were being asked to go to like week-long 10-day shows and we're like we work full-time we we can't do that yeah. we would love to help you but we can't do that um so I just 
I didn't realize how much need there would be that. And then the people that have embraced us outside of our region, I cannot believe how many people west of the Mississippi are like, nope, we see it. We love it. You keep doing it. And they promote us and they love us. And it's, it's just been really incredible to see the tight knit community that has been woven no matter if they're in the Southeast or not. So it's been really, really unique. Yeah. And so let's say this is again, me just asking a question just to understand this a little bit better, but let's say, you know, I'm, I have a rodeo and I contact you in order to promote it. So is that like, is it ad services kind of that you're providing um, and, or like the whole kind of media situation? So it really depends. We are kind of tailor it to what everyone needs. We will share flyers and promote flyers for like our weekly stuff um, for free, completely for free. If they send us a flyer, we'll share it when we initially see it. And then Jordan creates a rodeo roundup of the week post mm -hmm. and he puts everything happening on that weekend, typically on a Wednesday. So you've got time to plan. Um, and so we do all of that completely for free. If they need any additional services, we'll do tailored videos of just promoting it ourselves. We'll do flyer creation, really whatever anyone wants. We just want to help serve. Like I said, we want to use our talents and abilities to help the community. We want it to, we want to preserve it. We want to grow it. That's really what the heart behind it is. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think, uh, we could use a lot more talents right behind doing things like that because um, I'm sure as you've noticed, obviously, because you've found the need and have, have leaned into the need. But um, I think, you know, agriculture and the rodeo side of things like there's a great story there, but sometimes we just need a little bit help telling those stories. Uh, so I think what you guys are doing is fantastic because you are really leaning into that and helping uh kind of highlight all of these different things that are going on to not only, you know, welcome people who are already involved in it, but then also potentially reach people who may have never had an interaction with it as well. Oh yeah. And now is the time to capitalize on that. We've seen <clears throat> what the Yellowstone effect has done to the rodeo world. We've seen what it's done to the performance horse industry. I mean, horse prices are outrageous right now. I don't know if anyone else has noticed, but um, it's crazy. Everybody wants to be a cowboy, but they might think it's just putting on the hat and buying the boots but I, we want to show them that it's, it, it's more than that. It's a moral compass. It's a way of life. It's caring and tending to the land and the animals. It's so much more than just a hat, a belt buckle, boots. And we really want to help people understand that, bring them in, let them see that it's more than, than just a rodeo event or, you know, seeing animals jump around on the ground. <laughs> There's more to it. Oh yeah, for sure. And that's what you know, I've had several conversations about kind of this whole Yellowstone phenomenon, right, of like, does agriculture like it? Does agriculture not like it? And I think everyone probably has their own opinion there and, you know, whatever, that's totally fine. But I think, at least for me, I am a proponent of it. I mean, I love the show and I love the whole like stories that have followed from that. Uh, but I think it's a really unique opportunity for agriculture as a whole, uh, because it has put us in the limelight for the first time maybe ever and it's kind of brought in an attention from people again who would never have known it and yes like there's all these things about people wearing hats backwards and you know how they're embracing their own western fashion which you know some sometimes it's like oh maybe not like maybe we shouldn't go that route but I'm also a big proponent of you know if they feel like they could be welcomed or connected to this way of life, like I think we should celebrate that and 
help them learn, you know, okay, let's turn the hat around. This is really how you wear it. And these are the reasons why you wear it like that, because it really comes from a sun protection type of aspect, you know, way back when it all started. Uh, so I'm a, a proponent of, you know, maybe I don't agree with everything that it highlights, but I think as a whole, it's putting this whole industry in a limelight that it never has had the exposure of from before. And so have, is that something that you've kind of seen through what you guys are trying to do as well? Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. I think that, you know, they think that, you know, being a cowboy is a glamorized thing. And it's kind of like the seventies craze where like the Westerns were so popular. And I love that Taylor Sheridan. And if you don't know, Taylor Sheridan's involved in the industry. He owns training yeah. horses. His wife rides cutters. Like they're very ingrained in the industry. They're creating events like the run for a million. They're putting a spotlight on the cowboy way of life and the cool things about it, which is important. But it's also important that we get these people involved. We want them to buy the hat. We want them to buy the boots. That's supporting our Western brands. But at the same time, let's teach you that it's a little bit more than just, you know, it's not riding around all day and having fun. It's working cattle. It's dirt. It's sweaty. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. But it's important. It's important to our nation. It's important to feed our country. It's important to have food choice. Um, and all of those things come back to ag. And I think that there's a huge disconnect. I've seen this even on my day-to-day -day job working with veterinarians. There's a huge disconnect with pet owners and their animals' health. And like what matters to that, let alone people don't understand where the food comes from that they find in the grocery store. So I think that's, I mean, that is big picture, obviously. I think that's a huge thing that we need to lean into in this day and time. And people have questions. And it. I know it's hard to some, I know that some people in ag have a hard time kind of answering those questions or putting themselves in a spot where they think that people are going to um, belittle them or not paint them in the best light when really I think majority of people are just confused and they have questions. And I think that Taylor Sheridan has done a brilliant thing because he has at least opened the eyes of people of like, oh no, it's a little bit more than that. Oh, you know, it's not just train stations and <laughs> all that crazy stuff. There's more to it. There's real working ranch stuff. And I love that they've featured the four sixes on there and they've talked about direct to consumer beef and things like that. I think those are really things that we need to lean into and be like, no, that's real. Like that's not just TV. Let's talk about it. Yes. No, I a hundred percent agree. Uh, and I think you definitely like you definitely nailed it in your statement about it's more about um, connecting with consumers, right? And showing them where their food is coming from and all of those different aspects that are involved in it. And when your neighbor's cows get into your pasture or vice versa and all those different things that uh, come with the way of life. Um, but you just mentioned something, too, that I want to I want to touch on um, about your your full time job, right? Um, yeah. So can you explain maybe a little bit more about that? I know you work in sales and obviously closely with veterinarians and animal health, but what, uh, first of all, like how, how did you decide that was going to be a career that you wanted to get into? I guess let's start with, start there. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's funny. I, I went into school originally to be a pharmacist. Um, I, I decided I didn't want to be an equine veterinarian because I didn't want it to be my job. I wanted to have horses at the end of the day and I didn't want to make other people's horses my job. Um, so I decided that going into school, I got accepted into um, 
UT's pre-pharmacy program. So basically it's like a th what they call a three-in-one. So you do three years of undergrad and your fourth year of undergrad is your first year of pharmacy school, as okay. long as you pass your PCAT and you pass your um, interview. And I was like, this is great. I had catch road for a lady and leased a horse from a lady that was a pharmacist. And I was like, you know what? I'm intelligent. She can afford horses. I can do that. And so I got into school and I got into OCHEM honors. And I was like, very quickly, wait a second, do I want to do this? Is this what I want to do? And I very quickly pivoted and said no. Um, and I had a 4-H friend that was working for Baron Ingelheim on their cattle team at the mm -hmm. time. And I reached out to her and I was like, Melissa, how do I do this? But for horses, like, how did you do this? How do I get a job? I want to do this. And the animal health space, I will not lie, is very hard to get into. I applied everywhere coming out of school. From February to April, I applied every single day, hundreds of places. I even applied at AQHA. I applied at different horse show associations. And I hardly heard back from anyone. The only thing that I heard back from people were that I needed sales experience. Mm -hmm. I need a business business sales experience. And it's a very frustrating thing to hear coming out of school when you're like, well, if no one will give me the opportunity for experience, how am I going to get the experience? Yeah. So anyway, um, uh, my, one of my professors had met my first sales manager um, one time out in Knoxville, and he offered a job opportunity to present to the class. And I was the only one that followed up on it. And um, it was for a packaging company, but it was business to business sales. So my full intention was to go there like three to five years, get my experience, and then go back into the industry. Well, I worked there for about four and I learned so much from them. They took care of me. I was not looking when my job fell into my lap, but um, it, it's funny how it, it all works out and timing is just a beautiful thing. <laughs> and you see things hindsight 2020 and you're like, wow, I didn't see the dots connecting at the time. But anyway, it was almost two years ago, actually, exactly. It was around Thanksgiving. Melissa, the same 4-H friend, she now works in the same company as me, MWI Animal Health. She works in a, a same region, just a different territory, the territory where okay. we both grew up living. And um, she reached out to me and she was like, hey, do you like your job? I was like, I mean, yeah, I don't have a problem with it. It's not my dream job, but they're providing for me. I'm learning things. I didn't hate it. And she was like, well, do you want a job in animal health still? And I was like, yeah, what do I need to do? And she was like, you need to apply today because the territory where you live is open. <laughs> and so I did. And she wrote me a recommendation. Um, I was one of the last candidates coming in and um, they ended up going with me, which I was very, very excited about. And I have loved my job. So just to break it down so people understand a little bit about the pharmaceutical world, you have your manufacturers, you have your Merck, your Zoetis, your Beringer Ingelheim, then you have distributors and I work for a distribution company. So okay. basically anything and everything a veterinary office or clinic needs to run, we sell them all of those things and we ship it overnight. Um, so whether it's equipment, x-ray, um, vaccines, any kind of pharmaceuticals, syringes, needles, all of it, we provide all of it to them. So that's what happens. We also ship direct to, to producers and things like that too, um, whether it's a large animal or not. So I work on the companion health, animal health side, but we also have livestock oh. reps. We have, yeah. So it's it's wild. We have hogs. We have we own micro technology. So it's it's a really cool company, um, and their heart is 100% animal health. So I love it. I, I really enjoy my job. Like I said, I have a territory where I have about 150 veterinarians that I see every month, um, and 
it's always something new. It's really, really fun because I never know what I'm going to walk into. Sometimes I'm meeting over spays and neuters. Um, sometimes I'm just meeting with office people. You just never know what's going to be going on in a clinic every day. So it's been a fun learning curve for me because all of my experience was equine prior to this and competing animals just a little bit different. Yeah, just, just slightly, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I think what you said in terms of like the whole frustration of, you know, you wanting to get into animal health, it being so competitive and like just a, just a very hard industry to get into. Um, I know that's definitely something that I have seen with some of our students in poultry science who are like, hey, I want to do sales. And we're like, okay, great. Well, you need to be open to doing something else first, probably, because it is right. so difficult to get into. Right. Um, but I think that's a, I mean, it makes sense, right, to need experience to be in sales. But it's also a kind of a frustration too to be like, how do I get experience if no one will give me experience? And so I think that's um, something that a lot of people struggle with, right? Is like, how do I get my foot in the door when I don't know how to get my foot in the door because no one will let me get my foot in the door. Uh, but I think it's just seeing potential and maybe some routes that are not as straightforward or as cookie cutter of like this sales job and this sales job. And so um, I think it's really, really fascinating that you were able to do that through kind of a experience you were not anticipating. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I lived that fully. It was so frustrating for me at the time. And I, I did my best to just lean into the situation and what I, I call being a good sponge and soaking up the good stuff and take it, you know, just working hard like that is what has done more for me in both industries. I, I mean, worked in a commodity essentially industry before being in packaging. Um, mm -hmm. So that was actually really educational for me, but to um, moving over to the animal health side, working my butt off has done more for me than anything else in this world. Um, showing up every single day, whether I feel good about it or not, <laughs> that's what's done it for me. And yeah, it's the path is not always linear. It's going to be weavy and windy and you may not like parts of it, but it's about the big picture. And sometimes you got to sacrifice to get there. Um, and I was really candid about that going into like my first job. I shared a lot on my Instagram of like, hey, this is not my dream job, but I'm here and I'm doing it and I'm getting experience. And it did lead to ultimately what I really enjoy doing. So it's it's just interesting to see it play back, you know? Yeah, well, and I think people who are willing to kind of put in that groundwork and, and do things maybe they're not just absolutely in love with, I think it, I mean, for most stories or situations that I've heard about, it ends up working out, okay, in the long run. Maybe it's not two years, maybe it's five years, six years, 10 years, whatever. But in the long run, if you're willing to kind of put in that work, I think it pays off for sure. Um, and kind of tenfold later down the line. Oh yeah. And it's all about the connections you make. Cause like I said, I wasn't looking my 4-H friend that has known me since I was nine years old. She's a few years older than me, but she, we were in the same 4-H club growing up. She's the one who thought of me with that listing being open. I didn't seek it out. It's 100%. And they probably wouldn't have interviewed me had Melissa not been like, oh no, I'm vouching for her, wrote a recommendation for me. Um, I know that they really value that. And they've told me they value that end of things with our company. So I know that it's a lot to do with the connections you make and the impressions that you leave on people. So. Right. Well, and I think, right. That goes back to kind of, you know, building a network if, if you want to call it that or um, your connections. Right. But it, too, I think the connections that can be built through agriculture, right. That, I mean, that was 4-H. And so having life, oh my gosh, having lifelong 
friendships and connections that have lasted and them knowing that you were an incredible candidate because of the experiences that you guys have had together. Um, I think that speaks volumes too about just kind of youth organizations within agriculture and the potential to have such an impact on your life. Yeah, no doubt. I, I 100% contribute my time in 4-H to the woman I am today. The female mentors that I had through 4-H still with still like I still travel with my 4-H friends <laughs> like my my maid of honor was my one of my very best 4-H friends so I can't speak highly enough about the organization the things that it did for me the leadership skills the speaking skills everything that it gave me um so really really big proponent of 4-H here yeah and kind of along those similar lines I know the sales av- like route is not necessarily a heavily female dominated route um, or kind of area. What has been your experience being in such a competitive environment and maybe not so many females um, and kind of what, how, what has that been like for you? So with my previous job, it was a lot more like prospecting and I was working with mostly middle-aged white men (laughs) and I was just like, you know, Hey, I'm here, (laughs) you know? So to get people to take me seriously, I just, you know, I, I showed up every day. Like I let yeah. my worth ethic speak for who I am. And actually it's funny moving over into animal health. It's so many more females. Is there like, yeah, my region is primarily female. Um, our manager is a male, but it's primarily females. I work with, all, it's probably about 50, 50 in my territory with veterinarians being male and female. Um, same thing. I, you know, there's some of those older white males that just don't take you seriously to be blonde and mm-hmm. I've let my work ethic and showing up every month and providing good information for them lead the path and now it's funny that I've got so many of those veterinarians that I walk in the door and they act excited to see me now <laughs> you know what I mean they're like oh what's new because I'm always trying to come with useful information or something for them and I know that walking in the door so as soon as I learned hey that mattered to them you know I tried to provide that for them so I'm not just, you know, a useless rep coming in the door, whether I have cookies or not, which most of the time I don't, to be honest. So um, I'm, I'm definitely more of a proponent of information and I'm not a hard sell type person. I'm like, Hey, here's your information. Here are your options. If you like it, great. If you don't, okay. Like, you know, I'm not one of those high pressure people. So I work really well in distribution based on that because they that's the hard thing about this industry is people have to buy it. Veterinarians have to buy it. So they're going to buy it from who they like and who they work well with and things like that, because we don't have a lot of control over price when it comes to pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, well, Rachel, I appreciate your uh, taking time out of your schedule to chat with me today. And my last kind of question here to wrap things up is uh, if you could give some advice to your younger self, what might it be? keep going. Don't stop. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's funny. I, like I said, I look back at things I did now and I'm like, how did I do that? I don't yeah. know how I worked full-time in a dinner show and went to school full-time. And I did take some summer classes to make sure I graduated on time, but I would just tell her, keep going, keep chasing your dreams. It's going to happen. Yeah, no, I love that. I think that's, uh, 
such an important message too, because sometimes when you are down in the trenches, it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel, yes. but there's always light somewhere. If you just keep, keep going. Yeah. Um, you can find so the that. light. Like even if you're not happy in your situation, like start doing something to do, to change it. Like you're not yeah. a victim in your circumstance. Like you can do it. That's the beauty of living here. And in this day and age, reach out to people. We've never been more connected than we are now. Um, you can reach out to anyone and anything and ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions, change it. If you don't like it. Yes, no, absolutely. I think, uh, asking questions is such a big, big step. And I mean, I always say the worst they could say is no. And yeah. so why not just ask because you never know where things could lead. Um, so, well, thank you again, Rachel. And if somebody is wanting to connect with you or any of the um, kind of things that you're involved in, what is a good way for them to do so? Yeah, Instagram is probably the place I am the most. Uh, my Instagram handle is ranchy.rachel, um, just because we like to keep it ranchy around here. I show ranch horses now. <laughs> so anyway, um, and then Southeastern Cowboy Network on Facebook and Instagram. So there's always entertaining things on there. Plus rodeos happening. Awesome. Well, again, thank you, Rachel. Um, and I can't wait to continue to watch everything kind of grow and take off for y'all. It's been fun to fun to do so thus far. Yeah, thanks, Allie. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Ag Chicks. Don't forget to follow along on social media at Ag Chicks for more agricultural related content. And also be sure to check out your favorite podcast gear from www.agchicks.net. We'll see you next time.